0: Welcome to the Easel Studio podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand.
1: Welcome to Easel Studio, your weekly hepatology broadcast news. Uh, my name is Frank Tuck. It's a great pleasure to welcome you in today's episode, which is actually episode 15 of season two already. We have a JHEP episode uh, on the topic, the best animal model for HCC lost in translation. My name is Frank Tuck. I'm head of gastroenterology and hepatology department at the Charité University in Berlin, Germany. And it's a great pleasure to have a fantastic panel with me. I have uh, Sabine Colneau from the University Sorbonne in Paris. We have Jessica zuckmann Rossi, the Editor-in-Chief for JHIP Reports, um, uh, also from the University Sorbonne in Paris in France. We have Matthias Heikenwelder uh, from the German Cancer Research Center in Heidelberg, Germany. And we have Tim Grayton joining us from the United States National Institute of Cancer. Uh, Tim, great pleasure to have you. In today's episode, uh, we take the opportunity to discuss one of our exciting, interesting landmark papers that we have published in the Journal of Hepatology. And uh, maybe I can give the word first to Sabine Colneau, who is the last author of this paper. And you could uh, introduce maybe the concept of your work, which deals with a very particular HCC mouse model, that I think will be very useful, but will also give us a lots of uh, interaction points for discussion. Sabine,
0: uh, thank you very much. Well, I'm very uh, happy to be um, to discuss with you about marine model of uh, HCC and to discuss uh, our paper so done with uh, Robin Loche in my lab, uh, uh, describing a new mouse model of liver primary cancers, uh, genetically engineered by CRISPR-Cas9 technique. So I have slides to to show you. Um, so the first one uh, just uh, show you the, the the context of the study. Uh, our goal was to model a subclass of hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, constituting uh, one third of human HCC, and characterized by mutations in beta-catenin gene with a particular pathogenesis. Uh, without entering into details, uh, but uh, we performed that study in the context in which immunotherapy is now proposed as a second or third line therapeutic option in the HCC, and in which uh, most uh, of HCC with activating mutations in beta-catenin genes uh, are predicted to resist to this treatments. We had those two goals a translational one consisting in generating the preclinical model for testing treatments, and the basic one with the aim to clarify the oncogenic role of beta catenin by itself, described in previous studies as not sufficient to initiate liver tumorogenesis alone. So, this latter aspect was not in accordance with the mouse model we developed several years ago in which hepatic beta-catenin signaling was activated after the loss of APC tumor suppressor and led to liver cancer development. Um, next slide, please. Uh, we use uh, so two genetic strategies, uh, either tamoxifen-inducible Crilox uh, or CRISPR-Cas9, uh, targeted in the liver with uh, AAV victor, uh, both strategies are deleting the exon three of beta-catenin, which is the domain of degradation of beta-catenin. So the loss of exon three leads to the stabilization of the protein and to a constitutive activation of the signaling. So we got tumors with both strategies uh, similar to those obtained with APC-KO model with the same strategies. But uh, what was uh, surprising is that two types of tumors were histologically defined, either well-differentiated or undifferentiated tumors. We compared with Jessica Zuckman-Rossi's lab the transcriptomes of these tumors with those of human primary liver cancers, And we found that well-differentiated mouse tumors were similar to HCC with beta-catenin mutations, whereas undifferentiated mouse tumors looked like mesenchymal hepatoblastoma, also known to be mainly beta-catenin mutated. The main issue raised by this model was to understand why two types of tumors develop Within the same mouse. Uh, so, we put forward the hypothesis that the cell of origin for HCC development is not the same than that for a- hepatoblastoma development. We found the YAP TEAD1 cascade activated in hepatoblastoma like tumors and the TAS cascade in HCC. Their respective localization in normal livers could mean that beta-catenin-activated HCC are of a pericentral uh, hepatocyte origin, and that e- hepatoblastoma have a periportal origin. It's uh, that.
1: <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much. Maybe I can give the first word for comment uh, to Jessica. Jessica, you're one of the co-authors, so your opinion might be biased, but why do you think this (laughs) paper is important or what do we learn from this paper?
2: I think this this paper is very important because it deals with uh, uh, better understanding the effect of uh, beta-catenin activation in hepatocarcinogenesis. And uh, as it was mentioned by Sabine, uh, the 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 beta-catenin pathway is very important in uh, liver cancer. The idea is that uh, in human uh, uh, beta-catenin mutated tumors can uh, arise in d- and develop in a different age uh, of the patients. In hepatoblastoma, are uh, really the tumors that are developed in uh, young children, uh, uh, and beta-catenin uh, is only uh, is really the major driver together also with the 11p15 alteration. Uh, but very few alteration, in fact, in this. Uh, uh, tumors that are with the cell of origin, very immature uh, uh, cells and very progenitor or stem cells uh, that are at the origin of the development uh, of hepatoblastoma. In contrast, uh, in adults, uh, we have, the, and in adult patients, and sometimes in very old patients, uh, we have an enrichment in beta catenin mutated tumors uh, that are very well differentiated and that are true hepatocellular carcinoma without any uh, features of hepatoblastoma and uh, several other cancer-darved genes that are accumulated and also altered in the same tumors. So different story. And we have to mention that there is also some benign tumors uh, that are the hepatocere adenoma that are uh, purely mutated for ad- beta-catenin without any other cancer-darved genes, but that are also very well-differentiated tumors, uh, And usually in adenoma, there is no activation of telomerase. So, once again, the cell of origin is a mature hepatocyte, but without uh, telomerase activation, it is still a benign tumor. And then it can transform in, in mature and well-differentiated hepatocellular carcinoma when TERT is activated. So in, you, in mice, it's different because t- telomerase is already activated in all the cells. Uh, but it is very interesting in the model of uh, Sabine uh, to see that you have different phenotypes uh, that are developed uh, through the same uh, alteration at the beginning induced in, uh, in the liver of the mice
1: yeah, Tim, what were you thinking when you read the paper? what What do you think is is
3: open? What is answered by by this work? So first, you know, let me you know thank you for for inviting me to participate because um yes, indeed, this is a very interesting paper. And you know, and I would like to give you some thoughts about this. So, from a broad perspective, is you know if you want to understand HCC and um, if we want to translate this into human, I think the first thing we have to agree on is that there's simply not a single mouse model that can reflect the human system, but we can use these mouse models to better understand certain parts of the HTC. This can be the development of an HTC. It can obviously also be the treatment, but let's stay a little bit um, about the, you know, let's address the question of, of tumor development and you know, how, how did these tumors actually occur? And yes, the beta catenin pathway is, is is very interested we know from jessica's and and others work that you know it's it's very prevalent in in the disease and it's interesting to see that you actually have um, two different type of mutations obviously you know, you know leading to activation of beta catenin that ha- resemb- that all of a sudden lead to two different types of cancers mm-hmm. so why is this now my own work can't help you with this because you know we do immunotherapy but what i would argue here And this is just, you know, an an idea is the whole system is driven by an AAV system. It's an AAV CRISPR system, obviously. Now, what I would like to see is what type of cells are actually infected by the adenovirus. And we do expect that there is a homogeneous infection. But, you know, if we dive deeper, uh, there may be actually a difference. And this will help us potentially identify the mechanism and the cell of origin. I know there's many other methods how you can identify the cell cell of origin. Obviously, you know, you can do lineage tracing, et cetera. But I think, you know, this is um, a very interesting model, you know, that could help you potentially identify this. And also the last point I want to make is, Taking into consideration the specific liver architecture that we have, that we all know know that you know the cells, um, depending on whether they are more periportal or around the central vein, you know may actually um, be different, and also that this may play a role in the tumor development.
1: Yes, yeah, Sabine, do you want to comment? Um, is it the hepatocyte that gets infected, or is it uh, the, this uh, the different cell of origin, the progenitor that determines the fate?
0: In fact, uh, we we see because uh, it is not only AAV-mediated for the CRISPR technique it is AAV-mediated, but for the the CRILOX uh, uh, technique, it is uh, with uh, the CRI is expressed under the control of a promoter uh, which is TTR so that targets only uh, mature hepatocytes and uh, uh, I have uh, tried to to uh, to identify which cells were uh, uh, beta-catenin activated after the induction of uh, by or by AAV, and I I saw only mature hepatocytes uh, uh, in the periportal or in the pericentral region, but uh, only hepatocytes. Uh, this is my <coughs> my only uh, my only observation. So uh, maybe. Uh, Maybe I missed something, but I I don't think the the beta-catenin activation occurs because we can see it very easily because it is in single uh, cells uh, and these are hepatocytes.
2: But maybe maybe, uh, if I can comment, uh, um, you target uh, uh, the same panorama and the different cells uh, Mm. in the liver, whereas maybe... Depending of the cells, then the, that is retargeted and with the activation of beta gatenin you can develop some different phenotype, or the other hypothesis is that you can have some plasticity in mice, uh, and then you can induce maybe a more differentiated tumors that uh, dedifferentiate in uh, in hepatoblastoma, or uh, the inverse and uh, some less differentiated tumors that then uh, differentiate in more differentiated hepatocellular carcinoma. So I think it's open, maybe, and uh, we should. Uh, mayb- but maybe you have some uh, some clue on that and some answer okay. to this very uh, important question uh, yeah. that are asked uh, currently also in human uh, to know really what is the role of uh, not only the cell of origin but then the progression. Yes, yes, we
0: we have no evidence for such a progression in one uh, sense or the other. Uh, because uh, we got very small tumors, either um, differentiated or undifferentiated, and we we didn't get um, heterogeneous tumors. You, you see, uh, a tumor, in a tumor uh, that that uh, that would give us uh, some information that one type of tumor derives from the other. We we have not this type of uh, evidence at this time. Matthias,
4: right yeah, so I would like also to first of all say that this is a very interesting model and I agree with Tim in this particular case that, uh, you know, there will be some aspects this model will be extremely useful for. I'm not so sure whether um, the question of cell of origin is really now something that you can address in the realm of this particular model in its own right. I, I do believe that you will have to do some more uh, fate mapping technologies like a polylog system where you can really then follow single cells um, that you barcode and then really can say where they come from. I do agree with you that when reading the paper, also for me, it appeared to be that it is the mature hepatocytes in which you have turned on the beta-catenin signaling. But what I am actually... Of course, similar to Tim in regards to therapy, um, I am coming from the, from the let's say, an area of the tumor microenvironment, and I think that the plasticity that Jessica has just talked about, and I think it will be really interesting to see whether in these different paradigms of differentiated versus undifferentiated, you actually do see spatial differences in transcriptional, metabolic, or cytokine inflammation profiles that might contribute to one or the other differentiation. And I think for this, this model will be, I think, truly spectacular because you will be able to look at this, which means that I think this model in combination with single cell in situ technologies will be able to tell us a lot of things Yes, whether telomeres are turned on or not—I mean, I think Jessica has alluded to that. That in mouse models is a bit different, but I think that could be really spectacular when you—and yes, when you then on top change the the, the normal microenvironment that you have in this mouse model per se, anyhow, then you might really find out about more about this plasticity question in the context of this particular genetic activation. And I would like to uh, maybe remind you of a paper by. Um, Professor Pandolfi, approximately five years ago, where they have shown that um, particular oncogens and tumor suppressors induce a particular environment um, for tumor cell development just by the expression of the oncogene. So maybe, mm-hmm. um, depending on where the mature hepatocytes sit, a particular program will be turned on that really changes the plasticity due to the change in tumor microenvironment, or the microenvironment before the tumor actually really arises. Mm-hmm. So I think that is really something that one should and could really investigate beautifully with this model. Yes,
0: thank thank you. It's
2: uh, yes, I agree completely with that. Mm-hmm. Also, if I may, I mean, the, the interaction with the macro environment is very important. Huh? Of what we know in humans, also, is that uh, the mature and well differentiated uh, hepatocellular carcinoma in adults, uh, mutated for beta-catenin, are usually uh, without uh, any. Uh, uh, immune infiltrates or very rarely and um, so they are uh, really like a desert of uh, of uh, immune cells uh, whereas in children with uh, hepatoblastoma and particularly with a mesenchymal uh, subtype of uh, uh, hepatoblastoma that is what is observed in uh, in uh, the, the mice uh, of, uh, of Sabine, uh, it, it's frequent to have a, 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 a hot tumour and with uh, significant uh, uh, immune cells that are infiltrating the tumour. So it's very interesting also to see that probably in already in humans, the same mutation in beta-catenin can be associated with a hot tumor or a cold tumor without uh, uh, immune infiltrate. I don't know if you have some data Sabine on, uh, in mice and in your two subtypes of uh, of 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 tumors in uh, in your mice if you have some differences in term of microenvironment
0: no we we have not we have no obvious difference uh, because even sometimes uh, in the same liver so in the same mouse uh, we have uh, uh, we have uh, differentiated tumors and uh, not too far from it, uh, we have uh, undifferentiated tumor. So the global microenvironment of the liver is not changed, mm. but there, there can be local rearrangements. And uh, Angelique Gougelet in, uh, in my lab is studying the, this, this aspect. And for the moment, uh, the, what we what we see is that. Uh, Globally and we have no uh, differences evident differences between undifferentiated and differentiated tumors. We we generate uh, something like uh, immune like uh, microenvironment. If you read the the paper of uh, Montironi in uh, in gut from uh, Lovets group, uh, he, he said that uh, in beta-catenin uh, mutated uh, HCC, uh, most of them are uh, have uh, immune exclusion and uh, and a subset of uh, about 30 percent, if I. Remember well, uh, have a immune like uh, microenvironment. So, some uh, expression of PDL1, PD1, uh, there is a, a, a macrophage signature, uh, so something like that. So, so, there is something. It is not a dessert, um, but, but no if, difference between the undifferentiated and differentiated. But if we open the discussion a little bit broader to the different tumor models,
1: I think Sabine and Jessica, you have like a beautiful model where you show about tumor biology with the mutation and a certain subtype. And this is in the same environmental setting. So same sex of the mice, same microbiota, no fibrosis, no cirrhosis background, no special diet, no microbial intervention. And then we have the landmark papers from Tim and Matthias groups yeah. that show us Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we, we have a certain tumor model, or we even don't induce the tumor specifically, we just use the CDA high-fat diet or so and wait long enough and mm-hmm. modify the environment, modify the T-cells, modify the microbiota, bile acid signaling, and or, or diet metabolic signaling around the tumor in a fibrotic liver, and we get very different outcomes and uh, tumor models. So, what is the best model for for human HCC then? Like, how should you study uh, tumorigenesis, and for
4: which aspect? Maybe, Matthias, some some thoughts. Mm, maybe, um, I think, Frank. First of all, this is a very important point, and it is very difficult to answer. I could coin a citation of a philosopher who said, "All models are wrong, but some are useful." Um, that would most likely hit the point. Um, On the other hand, one has to say, um, to be serious, that um, as I think Tim indicated, um, we can only try to to, um, integrate aspects of carcinogenesis, of induction and also therapy response. When you think about and I mean Jessica um, is the you know I think world expert as far as this is concerned at the at the dynamics of the genome during the oncogenesis, we know of course that the that the Ferrari that the Ferrari uh, mutation that drives it you know these things come later they don't come early on so for a cell of course it makes a difference if you start with the Ferrari mutation no matter whether telomerase is activated or not but. On the other hand, it is very difficult to have a model in which this spontaneously, you know, where you would turn on the mutations one after the other over time. So I think we have to be careful about um, all the models we use. Um, In this particular case, I would say, I truly believe that, yes, the models where we wait long enough and we we try to give a diet in this context, for example, of NASH-HCC, that might um, mimic a lot of pathophysiological events, but still, you know, it is a model, and sometimes maybe we are missing, as Jessica has already indicated, some genetic predispositions, uh, mouse versus human, that, you know, you you would have to um, artificially integrate. So, so I, I think we have to be cautious also about... Um these models where we wait long and, and use diets, but I think they are sometimes useful in terms of the pathophysiological mechanism and the dynamics, and maybe also the antigenicity. Because in your situation, what and I think this would be something that Tim is very interested as well in, and of course, Sabina, I guess you as well. What is the what is the difference in terms of immunogenicity between a differentiated and an undifferentiated tumor, being a hepatoblastoma and HTC? And that is also something you could really interestingly investigate in your model again, because you have it in the same liver, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't believe into global similarities. I think there is oxygen gradients, there is metabolic gradients. So you will have different areas that are completely different. Some will be more immunologically deserted, other not. But I think, again, this is one aspect you would be able to investigate according to your model. So I agree with... What you have said, Frank, and what Tim has said, that each model has its aspects. And of course, we have the problem that HCCs are extremely complicated and also extremely um, un, um, uncharacter- or not, but not unplanned disease, right? There's a lot of stochastic events that go in, in the pathophysiology, and then there are always some hits, which we know that they're important, like a Ferrari mutation, right, to make it to the next step. So... All models are wrong, but some are useful. I would say.
1: Yeah, uh, of course. I guess all of us could agree to that. But let's let me challenge Tim. Um, you, you said, okay, we can learn certain aspects from certain models, but in order to translate it to new therapies in in human and so on, we 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 need the comprehensive view and we need understanding interactions and complexity. Um, so, where do you think the field should should move? Or neglecting the environment was really a, a drawback for many years or decades in the HCC fields. Just focusing on the tumor biology. On the other hand, only focusing on the microenvironment will uh, will not apprehend the heterogeneity of, of tumor mutations of the HCC biology. So, where do you see the field moving? Or what would be the the best direction for HCC models?
3: So. Um... You, you know, I think it's it's pretty clear, actually, where you have to go. You're talking about the tumor microenvironment. And I would actually say you don't have to only look at the tumor microenvironment. You have to look at the research environment. You can't do this alone. You have to do these studies in parallel in mice and in human. There is no other way. And you have to collaborate. You have to work. You know, people who do functional studies in mice have to collaborate with investigators that have the large uh, cohort studies and genetic data from patients to verify the findings that you have in mice. There is is no other way because there is just too many and too various aspects. And the only way to move this forward is is to run the studies in parallel. Obviously, whatever you see in a human and in a sample is right because that is what's happening. We know that you can only do correlative studies unless you do a clinical trial. So the function has to be tested in a mouse. And for this, you need a mouse model, which mimics exactly what you see in human. And in human or in patients is where the hypothesis and the questions are raised. You have, like you see here, the question of a beta-catenin activation. The the question has to come from from the human data. And then you can use the right mouse model, just the one like you see here, or a different um, model, to conduct the functional studies. But ultimately, the functional studies in mice cannot you know explain the biology in the patients.
2: But maybe I have a question also for you, Tim, because uh, you are also a specialist of uh, immunotherapy both in uh, in mice and uh, and human. and uh, what is interesting in the in the model of Sabine is that it is also in uh, immunocompetent uh, mice, so you can test for both uh, targeted therapy but also uh, immune uh, immunotherapy. And um, what is your thinking? And do you have some data on uh, what is the results of uh, immunotherapy in? Uh, uh, Epithelial carcinomas that are mutated for beta catenin And uh, can you comment on the use of this type of model in terms of uh, testing for therapeutic, uh, like a clinical trial in mice?
3: Yes. So, um, yes, there is data. There's data from, you know, as you know, from um, um, Amaya Lujambo, from, from Memorial, who has tested different oncogene combinations and how they respond, and in, including um, Uh, you know, antigens that you can follow and track T-cells and make the tumor more immunogenic. The problem we always have with this is that we have too many tricks, you know, in mice because we can modify so many things. We can start the treatment. We can, you know, later or earlier, we know we, we can make the tumor just by changing, you know, using human oncogenes versus mouse oncogenes. And human oncogenes work in mice. But we forget that they are actually very immunogenic because you know it's obviously it's a human protein and, and not a and not a mouse protein. So there's so many little tricks that we oversee. So it's it's you know, again, it's very interesting. We can study this, we can conduct the mouse studies in parallel. We know that the beta-cartinin um, indeed has an effect or an, a negative impact on the response of immune checkpoint inhibitors. But as I said, I think it's it's the the the, the holy grail is to do this in parallel. In a human sample, and in a and then the the, the corresponding mouse model, and that again, you know, let me repeat this. In order to have the corresponding mouse models, you need really a lot of different models, and the best you have to choose the best model.
4: I do agree with what Tim has said, but let me challenge one point. And so I do agree with you that um, hypotheses to some degree have to come from the human data because it is like a, it's it's an order towards science to answer a particular question um, formulated by this hypothesis. On the other hand, I would, but however, be an advocate for um, curiosity-driven research when it is, for example, about the cell of origin, right? So the cell of origin per se, um, as we maybe um, understand it as now, um, in an advanced HCC, um, being systemically treated might not be of any relevance um, for a treatment per se, most likely we don't know. But I think um, sometimes basic research will ge- guide us and help us with all the technologies and um, fancy schmancy assets that you have just coined to, you know, bring in new hypotheses that might also fertilize um, medical research in terms of to look at particular things that you have not thought about and hypothesized about coming from from medicine. So I think all I'm refraining is that you know there is this. Um, one way from uh, bedside to bench, but of course um, from bench to bedside back again. So um, I fully agree with you when it comes to understanding and treatment exactly what you said, but I would also like to advocate that sometimes we should not forget that, yes, this can also be by chance. All these models might give us some more hints on generating novel hypotheses in in the medical realm.
1: And Matthias, I remember about a decade ago, you were already starting to use all the different tumor models, NEMO mice, DEN model, and uh, did like the chromosomal alterations and mutational analysis and so on. So which of these models is, is particularly useful um, to, to compare to human HCC?
4: Yeah, this is very, again, a very, very difficult to answer because, you know, again, there I fully agree with um, Tim, There isn't like a model that what we did is actually in this publication with Achim Weber, we tried to ask the question if we would take the classification, for example, that Jessica has published um, for liver cancer and we would overlay it on the mouse situation and we would combine genetic, transcriptomic and histological characterization of these tumors, where would the different models fall into and, and how would they look like? And you know, turned out that, you know, the d 2 nitrosamine model, um, per se, wouldn't look like a bad model um, um, per se. Yeah, we looked at the MCL1 um, hepatocyte-specific model that is a model that is induced by chronic cell death, inducing inflammation, myeloid inflammation, adaptive immune inflammation, and driving cancer. Uh, we looked um, also at some models of beta-catenine activation. So, um, and, you know, it looked like that, you know, by doing this, we looked at NASH models, you could... Car- categorize um these models but similar to the human situation actually it was that there were also gray areas right where sometimes mice that should have looked like a particular g2 or whatever had mutations of g2 and g4 so you know what so how 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 do you and and even immunohistochemistry so how do you integrate it so i think the problem we have is also in the human situation that they span, at least this is my feeling, um, Jessica, you will correct me, that sometimes, you know, they span over and there is, a very, there is a gray zone which makes it very difficult to stratify really um, based on genetics, on transcriptomics, how, in what category now you could integrate this maybe for a further therapy. So because it's so complex and these mutations that you see, they might be just mutations that were not drivers, but they were just added on. During the development and what were not selected against, for example. So, but maybe yeah. Jessica, you can comment on this as well a little.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you that uh, in fact we have a diversity in uh, liver tumors, both in human and also in mice. And you can reproduce a diversity that is not exactly similar. In fact, and uh, I think that when you mention the DAN model, that is in fact very useful. But you know also that in mice you have much more ras mutation than in uh, in human, for example. And so you can drive a diversity that is specific of the mice, that can have some similarities, but not exactly the same diversities than what is observed in uh, in human. But coming back also to the cell of origin and the seconds by which you accumulate the different mutation is also very important. We know that starting with uh, in a very well differentiated cell with uh, a deep activation of uh, an oncogene is going to induce the, the, the death of the cells and not the transformation and the oncogenic death of the cells. So we need to keep that in mind also how we model. And I fully agree with teams that we need several models, but very well characterized models. Now we have the, all the tools that, that are available really to characterize the models in, in mice and to exactly see what are the mutations, what are the, what is the status of the microenvironment, and what is the similarities and to compare with, uh, with the human uh, tumors. And we can identify the similarities, the differences, and deal with that uh, at the end and test with different uh, models for the same uh, uh, therapeutic tools uh, and see what, I- what is the, uh, the response. What is that is really, a new world, I mean, in uh, in terms of uh, clinical trial in in mice, and that are also with uh, different uh, uh, possibilities. In fact, of testing different background of tumors, that is really very interesting and informative. I think for the for human at the end.
1: I guess we unfortunately need to close here because our time is already over. Thank you so much. The title of the episode was The Best Animal Model for HCC Lost in Translation. And I think what <laughs> all of you made clear is um, that we need to do everything to get not lost in translation, but that we really try to understand our models. What do we model? Do we model the tumor biology uh, that we see in human disease and pediatric uh, tumors and adult tumors, differentiated, undifferentiated? And that we also need to see in which liver environment those tumors develop and that we model this and keep that in mind in order not to get lost in translation. Thank you very much, Saline, uh, uh, Sabine and Jessica. Congratulations to a fantastic paper. Really um, was a pleasure to have that in the Journal of Hepatology. Thank you, Matthias and Tim, uh, as challengers for, for these papers and for your advice on the best HCC model. And with this, I would like to thank all of you for a great discussion. Bye-bye.